0: The Cinema Limbo podcast is part of Podnose, the UK's leading independent entertainment podcasting network. For episode archives of Cinema Limbo and all of the shows on the network, visit us at www.podnose.com. You can also follow us on Twitter via @podnos podnose or send us an email via admin at podnose.com.
1: Some of us devote our lives to great works, to titanic achievements that will encompass all that we can create, but not all are completed. Some just lie in the dust, awaiting the hand of a successor to complete the work. My name is Jeremy Phillips, writer, critic, and fly, and you're listening to Cinema Limbo, the way station for underappreciated films. Tonight's symposium, the first in a special series, covers Richard Williams' The Thief and the Cobbler, an animated epic unfinished and unreleased in its original form. My guest is Ed Bloomer, and you'll join us in a balmy cavern inside your dreams. Hello, Ed. Hello. How's it going? Oh, it's going very well. Um, now, you're probably aware Cinema Limbo is approaching its 100th episode. Congratulations. That's good. Thank you. Yes, I'm, I'm, very, I'm very proud of all the work that I've done. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so to uh, celebrate, I'm having a special mini-series of episodes leading up to number 100 of films that would normally fall outside the purview of Cinema Limbo, but are still, I think, worth talking about. So we're going to do uh, a programme of short films. We're going to do a film that I think has no redeeming features at all. Right, okay. um, We're going to have a TV movie. Um, But I thought we'd start with a film that was never finished and never really properly released. Mm -hmm. And that is Richard Williams, The Thief and the Cobbler. Right. Um, I was able to find a copy of the film on YouTube earlier in the year, um, which has been reconstructed. And we'll talk about that a little bit later on. Um, But uh,
0: were you aware of the film at all? Not at all. Not at all. Um, I read a little bit about the the sort of backstory about this, which, as you say, we'll get into. But, uh, no, uh, completely fresh to me.
1: And what was your first response to it? Um,
0: Really interesting in some ways. Really good in some ways. But but overall... No, well, how will I explain... good, and I, I suppose we could talk about all the sort of inventiveness of it uh, uh, but but overall not a great viewing experience, I
1: think uh, I, I think it's probably worth dividing it into two separate tranches and talking about the story and talking about the animation
0: yes I, I would also uh, if I can jump in with a sort of third mini one yeah, I, I think the sound wasn't very good either and I don't just mean the quality of the sound coming through, I think the actual uh, the score and the recording itself is not particularly good I, Yes, there's not too that, much maybe to
1: that's I would say is going to be a function of the fact that we're watching a basically a fan edit that is, for want of a better term, cobbled together from various sources sure. so, it's okay. not, so it's that's if this were the, a finished film, it would not be like that. It would be more polished and more um, complete in, in in terms of the sound design.
0: Yeah, but I think uh, it, it's one of those things because I, I'm, you know, I'm not any kind of audio expert. That it, it really brings home to you how important good sound design is. A lot of the time, good sound design can be sort of invisible, or is enhancing it in ways that you don't really. Uh, Absolutely notice. Although I suppose if you're interested in that sort of thing, you you possibly will. Um, but but watching it and listening to it, I thought, oh, like there's a. There are lots of scenes that are really. Better sound design, uh, and I'm using sound design in a completely amateurish way. I don't really know what I'm talking about. Really, when I when I say that, I'm sure there are purists that are kind of getting annoyed at the way I'm describing it. But I'll call it sound design, and and there are lots of things where where I thought. This scene would work better if it sounded better, um, and so it's 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 kind of linked to the quality of the animation as well, not the quality of the drawing, but the you, you know the, the, the overall effect. I think yes.
1: I found I think the story. I think I found a little bit slight.
0: Well, it's, I mean, it's a fairy tale, right?
1: Yes, and it's it's an original story. Yeah.
0: I mean I think it's
1: quite uh... um, but the, the the story is there as a hook upon which to hang Richard Williams animation. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Yeah.
1: That 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 is that is the whole reason the movie exists. Williams had his own animation studio in the 1960s, uh working on various projects and in the early 70s an Oscar winning short film version of a Christmas carol. Um But in the late 60s, he started to take an interest in developing a masterpiece, in literal terms, a a piece of work to demonstrate his mastery of animation as a skill. Um, One of his original plans was um, to uh, adapt stories of uh, Mullah Nasruddin, the uh, wise fool character of um, medieval Turkish folklore. And that project went through some permutations and eventually didn't happen because of financing issues. He then started to develop an original story, which was The Thief and the Cobbler, and went through numerous variations in script form and finally started recording dialogue and struggled to get money together to scrape together to actually produce the film, financing it with the studio's other projects as he went. This process took 20 years. mm mm-hmm um from the, the original sound recordings i mean he was able to enlist at a very early stage vincent price yes to provide the voice of the villain zigzag and price performed a number of studio recording sessions over more than 25 years
0: oh okay i didn't realize <laughs> i didn't realize it was done sort of piecemeal in that in that way wow okay
1: even, yeah even the even the, the voice recording was piecemeal Price started recording it in the late 60s and his last session was shortly before his death in 1990. Wow, okay. Um, but based on footage that he'd shown to people as to try to uh, gather together investment, Williams was hired by Steven Spielberg to produce the animation for Who Framed Roger Rabbit.
0: Yes, yes. Which I guess <laughs> is, is in a general sense is what he's best known as. Or, yes. or or yes. or you know uh, maybe not within his circles uh, but to the public yeah, to the public and it's yeah. his most his
1: most visible achievement absolutely yeah. um and obviously that was a huge success and he won two oscars mm-hmm. for it and it got to the point where disney and spielberg said that they would support the project and and help finish the thief and the cobbler uh they then both dropped out <laughs> and uh Disney revived its own animation studio and wound up producing Aladdin, which is not at all very similar.
0: Well, yeah, I mean that yeah, that definitely is worth talking about, I guess. Um But but actually I, I, I mean I do wonder how similar they really are. I mean they're 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 fables, although one is you know, derived from from I was gonna say an actual fable as if that means anything, but uh, you know, it's it's not sort of an original work as such. Um and they're in a sort of vaguely uh, Arabic kind of world. Yes. Um,
1: um, but do you not think that Jafar and Zigzag look almost exactly the same?
0: <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 yeah. That, that. and um, I for, I've forgotten the, uh, the, the vulture in The Thief and the Cobbler. And there's... Is it the, the vulture in The Thief and the Cobbler is called Fido. Fido. Uh, and is it Iago, who's the... the Iago, um, yes, Iago the yeah. parrot yeah oh okay yes yes so so there are similarities but but i think it's also interesting the 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 difference in the style and things like the difference in the pacing and the difference that you you know with aladdin um and of course others and it has a long history but like aladdin was a real blockbuster and the pacing is different and the and, and the style is different and it did make me wonder after i was watching about two actually in fact i'll tell you what from about the first 30 seconds the first thought that popped into my head was who is this for in terms of The Thief and the Cobbler? The pacing is so alien to say a children's film of the sort of the current generation Um, and it's scary and kind of unsettling and odd in a way that even the weird Disney bits that you get in Disney films I think are not. So I thought is this for kids, and even then, and and I, I suppose this is this is you know I'm starting off as a in being a negative, but I was thinking, yeah, this isn't. It's also not weird like say the Dark Crystal, which can be a bit scary and a yeah. bit odd looking and things, and then you know it becomes a cult film and people remember it more fondly perhaps than if they actually sort of watched it. Um, well I said The Dark Crystal's good but you know I when I was watching I was thinking if I watched this when I was a kid The Thief in the Cobble this is I don't think I would be enamoured with it or by it and uh, I don't think I would fondly remember it. I think I would just find it off-putting um, Yeah well, that's, <laughs> Yeah that's, that's my that's, criticism
1: that, That's the odd thing about the film is that it was, a, it was a completely personal project for Williams. He was making the film for himself. Yes, but, but I think... He had, he had no concern about it finding an audience or it being commercially successful. He wanted, this is to show that I am a master of my skill. Yeah. It's, it's, it's almost like a monument to his own
0: ego, except well... he kind of can back it up. Oh well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, we can talk about the the, the sort of quality, the quality and qualities of the animation, but I th- I think in terms of a project which also involved other people, and mm. ultimately was a failure to sort of get through the door, if you will. Um, I I I think it's one of those things where yeah, you want somebody else to go. This, this is good. Could we stick to the schedule or budget or? Do a script revision on this bit or double check that this is working okay. You know, um the thing some, is sometimes were, it, there, we we do get to
1: that and there were people who said that.
0: Yeah, yeah later yeah. on. Sure, sure. But but I think I think I think you can see the, the problems. Like even within the film, you can I, I think you can look at it and go, I I can see why this did not why they didn't pull this off in the way that he was possibly imagining in his head.
1: They were apparently very close to finishing it when um, Williams lost control of the project. They apparently had only like fifteen minutes left of material to do six, six or seven months worth of work.
0: Yeah, but even if they had finished it, I think there's still problems with yes, with, with the stuff but, that has been completed. But 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 it would then you would be able to
1: see it for its its entirety as this is what Williams wants. You to see, rather than the version that we watch, which is kind of this is kind of getting there, and there's some of it's finished, and some of it's sketches, and some of it's just hand, you know, uh, you know pencil animatics, and it's kind of all a bit of a mishmash. You get to see a complete opus, and I think that would give you a much better sense of how this is supposed to be regarded as a, as a as, yeah. a as a finished
0: item. I I just think you might see the opus and go, that is impressive and I don't want to see it again. That that's be what, fine. Yeah, I mean it, no, it well, yes, I suppose in that sense it would succeed, but I I just yeah, it, yeah it's it's an interesting one and I think it's a, it's a good it's a good one to discuss because I think while I'm glad to have watched it I yeah, I I sort of I didn't enjoy having seen it. I don't know if that makes any sense at all.
1: I think. You found you found it um Interesting to think about, rather than entertaining to watch. Oh yeah, I mean that's certainly true. Oh, that's fair enough. Fair. I feel
0: the same way about The Exorcist. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, uh, as I say, right from the get go, I would be concerned about who it was for. But if we if we take it as read that uh, it's it's for him, <laughs> and yeah. Incidentally, if anyone else likes it, then that's that's good too. Um, but uh, yeah, I pacing I thought was a problem but immediately you know to go into the positives um some of the animation is kind of amazing and also amazing to 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 have have done without 3d animation and with and and having to draw these things some of that stuff just the amount of effort that you realize Mm. must have taken or the care um in sort of moving various perspectives and things like that, and, and, and presenting a sort of 3D version of something. I mean, right at the start, when you sort of, uh, or near the start, where you, you kind of, f- sort of fly through the city and sort of through the minarets and kind of twist and things like that. For that to not have been done with 3D animation is, is kind of astonishing, really.
1: Hmm. Well, it, it kind of, it was done with 3D animation, but it's all
0: drawn by hand. Oh yeah, sure, sure. You can, you can, you can plot out all the perspective, but, but yeah, somebody had to sit there and. and...
1: There's, there's a scene later, I think, where um, the cob, tack the cobbler is walking up a spiral staircase, and our perspective moves in th- in three dimensions, yeah. and everything around it moves in three dimensions, and again, that is all hand drawn, and it yeah, looks yeah, yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one I, of, I'm sorry, one of uh, Williams' um, specifications when there were when they were making it was that it would be made on ones, as the saying is, rather than on twos, which means you it's one frame of animation per frame of film yeah rather than the standard, which is uh, one frame of animation for every other frame of film. Mm. So yeah. they're effectively doing twice as much work to make it look much more fluid and natural.
0: Yes, and but actually, curiously, I think that works some of the time, and some of the time it... Uh, they go overboard, or it it sort of gives me almost a, a, a seasickness, a sort of queasiness. Not not because of the not. Hmm, it's hard to describe. I think, or it's hard for me to describe. Not the motion itself, but in terms of the fluidity of the motion of the animator, uh, the animated characters. So, what I'm trying to say is, some of the some of the way they move, is deliberately done. But it's unpleasant, I think, to, to look at. Right. So something... So I remember that the bit where Zigzag first arrives on the scene and you see his... Uh, the sort of the shoes ro- sort of roll out and like extend. A, like, and a, ro-
1: like a razor that you blow and it unrolls. Yes, yes.
0: Like, that's, that was great. Some of the way when the characters are, are just sort of moving on the landscape, particularly the thief, I sort of thought there's, it's too the the limbs that you don't get too much and and everything everything's so sort of fluid, it's it's hard to know what it kind of lo- loses coherence in some ways mm. um, sometimes and and that's the thing I mean th- that's I guess my overall issue if you like with with the film is that there's lots of great things and then occasionally you're like ah that's that's very slow paced that bit or that doesn't really work or that bit is you know it's not slapstick funny. Or that bit just goes on for too long. Um, there's lots of things like that where, you're like, okay, most things would be sort of snappier. Um, you know, the thief bouncing off the, uh, the the sort of awnings as if they were trampolines. That's kind of classic, kind of Tom and Jerry esque sort of things, uh, uh, sort of slapsticky uh, stuff. I don't know if it actually happens in Tom and Jerry, but I just get the impression that I've seen that be before, but it. It has a has a quick rhythm to it, um, because it's you know it, you know it's it's bouncing whereas uh, when it actually happens in the Thief and the Cobbler, it's slow. It's very fluid, uh, uh, and it's not it's not amusing because it goes on for absolutely ages. So the, yeah, the, it it, sort of, it lacks the sort of slapstick, and I'm not someone that likes sort of wackiness and fla- slapstick, you, you know a little bit goes a long way i think but yeah i mean or or when you know when there's the polo playing Mm. and the ball keeps chasing the thief around or sort of effectively chasing the thief around uh it's in it's incredibly impressive because you've got these animated horse horses with people on them The 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 perspective shifts uh it's quite inventive in in sort of what happens is he's kind of in a tree and then he's building underground and this sort of changes his perspective and all sorts of things and it's incredibly impressive but it's it's really slow and it's not it's not fun at all and i think also in particular because you haven't the thief character is not fun he's not like a daffy duck character who's going to get his comeuppance because he, you know he has some ideas above the station or, or 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 because it's fun to see someone frustrated with the world kind of getting beat, beaten down in that slapstick way. He's kinda creepy and he is just a thief. He's not like he's not a fun thief, um, or anything like that. He's he's kind of just a thief and he's kind of presented he's sort of presented in a um possibly a problematic way. Um but uh uh yeah the, I,
1: I, I, the idea that he's an outcast from uh from the city. Yeah. I like I like the detail that he's always, has this little cloud of flies following him around. Yes, all, but... All of which were individually animated in yeah, well every that,
0: frame. That, that, I mean, that's, that's, again, you can sort of see the work that, or I, I think you notice, like, that must have taken ages because, you know, uh, again, nowadays, um, you, know, you would get elements and you would sort of program them to behave kind of quasi mm. randomly, but actually having to draw in the paths and animate everything that, that that is kind of astonishing um but i don't think it makes him fun do, do you agree i mean i, I did, did you like I... when bad things were happening i thought like oh this doesn't have the it doesn't have the like a, a lightness to it or an over-the-top godiness of say like itching scratchy kind of nonsense no um,
1: i mean I, I, william's inspiration was silent comedy Chaplin, Keaton, that mm. kind of thing. So he wanted with, I think, The Thief to have a character who was always frustrated in trying to achieve these aims. So I, I think he's aiming for the kind of thing that you described, but he became so enamoured in creating these images and vistas and actions that it sacrifices comic timing.
0: Yes, if yeah. The, if,
1: think, if, uh, if the comic timing and the, the speed of it had been better... Yeah. I think the thief would be quite a a fun underdog character.
0: Potentially, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it's it's yeah, it's 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 a pacing issue because, you know, if he's climbing up the inside of a pipe, you you don't need to see it. That doesn't need to happen over the course of like, you know, thirty or forty seconds. We need to to see it in real time. yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. That needs to happen over sort of ten seconds. But the thing is, I mean, again, you, you, you're right. Like he's he he gets really into what he's doing, and everything is so precise. So even when he's going through the the, uh, the the pipes, like at each sort of intersection or bit of the pipe, something slightly different is happening. So it's fantastic in that sense because one bit buckles and another bit sort of twists, and then another bit sort of um, kind of collapses in on itself and and you know Gates, and then he kind of gets into a bit where he sort of gets pushed through like it's like they've kind of thought let's do something different for, for you know we're not reusing any frames we're not uh you you, you know there's, there's something different happening at each point it's not like here's one thing now you now you get it but the 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 problem with that is then you don't get sort of i suppose variations on a theme you know um yeah if someone sort of like and again, you know, he gets to the top and he gets flushed down. And you want that to be sort of bam, 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 and then he's thrown out into the moat. You don't want it to be sort of... You. I don't think you necessarily need to see actual sort of, if you like, sort of the physical component of what is actually happening to the the pipe. Hmm. You know, I'm but, not saying it's realistic. It's not realistic, but it's it's hard to describe that. I think. But but, but Williams wants to go
1: to the effort of showing everything, creating everything. Yeah, because I, because because this is because it's his film, and he wants to make this exactly the way he wants it, regardless of audience response. Yeah, and I, so you have these this immense focus on detail and comic timing and rhythms of scenes get left behind
0: yeah and and i mean some of it is astonishing and and i remember you know i mean all of this you know we're talking all within the sort of the first small part of it but like even when he's crossing the courtyard and, and he's going into shadow and out of shadow there's loads of things like that uh, the, the thief this is there's just a bit yeah. where he kind of goes into shadow so the the, the lighting changes and you think well you absolutely could have gone away without doing that that was not uh, that's not in any sense necessary. And so that is essentially showing off like here's another technique, here's a here's a, a thing that makes the scene lovely to look at or, or interesting to look at, let's say. Um but again, you know, immediately after trying to steal from the uh, the nanny, as it turns out, and she beats him up because she turns out to be immensely strong. That's not I mean that's quite slow as well. <laughs> It's because so she sort of punches him up, and it's not like an actual fight, you know. There's there's no, um, uh, it, you know, there's no dwelling on the kind of violence. It, it, it's that sort of slapstick, bang, bang, bang stuff. Except here, it's sort of, bang. Beat, 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 bang, mm. <laughs> beat. You know, it's it's plodding in that sense. Um,
1: well, the film's got quite an impressive voice cast. Um, Tack the cobbler and. The thief are both mute for almost the entire film, so we'll yeah. come back to that. But we have as zigzag the Grand Vizier Vincent Price. Mm-hmm. Um, the film is narrated by the great English actor Felix Aylmer. Princess Yum Yums played by Sarah Crow, who you'll remember from the um, Philadelphia adverts. He took it. King Nod is played by Sir Anthony Quayle. Okay. Um The Nurse and the Witch by Joan Sims. I mean it's I mean voice over stuff
0: not I don't
1: oh, know. I'm not finished yet. Oh, Alright, okay, sorry, sorry. <laughs> um The Chief of the Brigands is Windsor Davies, who you, I'm sure you recognized. Um and in supporting roles you've got Kenneth Williams, Stanley Baxter, George Melley, uh Joss Ackland. And the two weird ones are the voice of Fido the Vulture, who only squawks is Donald Pleasance? Yeah, I, I didn't know that, and I thought. And what happened? The there? Mi- and the mighty one eye. <laughs> is played by Chris Greener, who at the time was Britain's tallest man, but was cast because of his voice. It's pretty good.
0: It's, <laughs> uh... yeah, that's a, that's an odd one. <laughs> he wasn't. He wasn't an actor. No, but it's. I. Th- it's a pretty good performance. I think. Yeah. Maybe you need sort of lungs that big to get kind of get the resonance apparently the, the original choice
1: for the role was the delivery man who came to the um, offices one day and Williams thought he had just the perfect voice
0: <laughs> right okay well I, I suppose that's the thing you can do with uh, voice acting in theory mm. is that uh, you know any other aspect is, is sort of out the window or, or could be um, yeah if you've got a good voice why not
1: yeah. The film starts with uh, this prologue of a a point of light which slowly expands to uh, a globe in which we see it's um its fingers holding a crystal ball these very old bony fingers and we're told in narration that the world is a dream of reality and we're shown this golden city with uh, a minaret at its center with three golden balls at the top and that the city will fall if the three balls are lost, but the city will be saved by the simplest of souls using the simplest of weapons. And we cut to Tack the Cobbler, sleeping in his cobbling shop, face down on the floor, but still sewing in his sleep. Mm -hmm. Just as the thief comes in and tries to steal things, and without waking up, Tack is able to stop him... Kind of, sort of wrap himself around him and sew himself to things. Uh, we have the the scene that you described with the the thief trying to rob the woman and getting beaten up, and then zigzag's procession enters the town, and um, we're introduced to Vincent Price in his one of his best performances, I think.
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean in that sense again, you know. Um, once upon a time I think is good enough you know that the the, the sort of the, the prologue bit I was I was drifting off as I was watching it because I was like this doesn't mean anything this is sort of this is kind of nonsense that I, I in any sort of any sort of prologue that's heavy with exposition uh is clunky uh you know because uh you know, you, you you shouldn't have a story which is like, this is what you need to know to understand the story that you're actually about to see. You just show the story. So I always think, like with things like that, it's like once upon a time there was the golden city, and it was protected by three magic balls. You don't need you don't need a thing about it. It's going to be saved by somebody. I mean, you don't need to tell them that everything. You know, it's it's uh, you know what essentially no. happens in it. And so it's just things like that where you think, okay, for for. For the time that you spent on it, we could have maybe saved, you know, five animators, two days' work each, by just going. We're going to we're going we're gonna to shave off the, the first twenty seconds in my original script. Uh, we're just going to get into it quicker.
1: But we have to have all the incredibly beautiful, elaborate, intricate animation.
0: Yeah, but in a in a film that just just does that in every scene, you sort of, there are things we could. We could have made it snappier, I think. Um,
1: but Zigzag is proceeding through the town, and th- the gimmick he has is that he speaks entirely in rhyme. Mm-hmm. Uh, none of the other characters do. <laughs> it's just him.
0: Well, he's the you know he's the uh, you know he's you know dripping poison into your ear. He's, mm. he's saying one thing. He's all sort of thinking about. How to talk to people and things. No, I, I mean, I think, I think Zigzag's pretty good um, as a, as a kind of character, and, and almost fun. I mean, not quite fun, but almost fun, in a way that most other bits of the film are not.
1: The funny thing is that um, Price would eventually be able to be a, a villain in a major animated film in Basil the Great
0: Mouse Detective. In which he plays Professor Rattigan. Uh, I've completely forgotten about uh, that film. I, I mean, I, I recognise the title, but I, I can't quite recall whether I've actually seen it.
1: it it's, it's basically an over the top version of Professor Moriarty, but he's a rat.
0: I, I think my mind and is he, just. And he's
1: fantastic.
0: Right, okay. I think my mind madly sort of just smooshes that together with. Uh, is it Five Goes West or something? Oh, the one
1: that's of... set in a different continent, yeah. Uh, Five Goes West is a western, and Basil the Great Mouse Detective is a Sherlock Holmes pastiche. But they've both got
0: mice, rats or something. <laughs> I don't know, just in my mind. I've I've obviously seen them in childhood, and I've put them together. Danger Mouse is in there as well, I'm sure. Just all well, the, roughing well, the, around.
1: Well, the thing is, that's also the, the, the divide between the, t- the two companies that were looking into backing the film in the late 80s, because... Uh, Basil the Great Master Detective was Disney and Am- An American Tale was Amblin, right. which was Steven Spielberg's company and An American Tale was his first big push into animated films Right. that sort of wound up becoming DreamWorks so it all sort of feeds together really <laughs> um with Tack and the cobbler having been having had their see it, it, it makes me love just the idea of having accidentally sewn all their clothes together. Um, they tumble out into the street, uh, and one of the tacks falls off, and right into Zigzag's path, and he steps on it. So Tack is dragged to the palace, and um, he's I think he's going to be executed or be dragged in front of the king and his daughter. Mm. But um, Princess Yum Yum saves him from execution by ordering him to fix one of her shoes yes
0: which she deliberately breaks mm. so that so that she's got the opportunity yeah i mean again it's it's um like it's nicely constructed uh you know because another way to do it might be that, you know he was a thief and you know he stole tried to steal into the palace but you know the princess liked him so they go but but he is sort of wholly innocent, um, and again, it's just it's full of beautiful sort of flourishes. Even the bit where he sort of, as he's getting distracted, sort of Tack tries to sort of get away and sort of drag back in, and like it just it does look beautiful. And you know the, the way the tacks sort of form his smile or his frowning or his sort of um, sort of hangdog expression or sort of surprise because you just get the sort of the black. Uh, movement that, which can yeah which, you know which well you, you can either subside sort of as a line or sometimes it, it you know it's it's sort of face on as it were and and you know it, it's a an sort of open mouth sort of looking shot because it looks like hmm. you know a hole uh, but uh, so like like it's it's full of lovely things like that um, or even just a bit I I definitely stuck in my head when he when he's taken into custody the way the sort of. Sort of curved swords or, or, or sort of halberds or whatever they are, sort of um, sort of box in his neck so he can't move. Like all that's sort of beautiful and, and lovely and sort of fluid, but it just doesn't, it's not fun, <laughs> it's, <laughs> is the thing. Like, if like, like, I mean, I'm not a child, but I think, like, you know, would, would I, how old would a child have to be if I wanted to show that to them? And that they would enjoy it, and I think.
1: I was going to say yeah. I mean, you could show this to a, a very young child, and they'll probably think it's fine. But it's it's odd because it's. I wouldn't say this is a film really for for general audiences. I don't. I think it's too arty.
0: I think that's right. But then, that's where I think you get warning sounds. Because somebody should be going, and and who are we going to sell this to? A a a sort of an animated sort of fable thing uh, that is sort of simplistic, like a kid's thing, but it's not for kids.
1: Um, It's it's a it's appropriate for children. Whether it's suitable for children, I think is another matter. Because you could show this to a child and think this is fine. You know, there's nothing here that's that's going to frighten them or or upset them or anything. It's a, it's a fairy story, it's animated. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it'll, yeah, yeah. it'll be fine. Whether they'll enjoy it, as you say, is, is a different matter. Yeah. Um, but I mean, the, the final budget of the film when they were finally putting it into production, was only 28 million dollars. So it, it didn't need to do that much in the way of business to, to make a profit.
0: But sorry, is that 28 million set at the time they started?
1: No, that was at the time a studio finally stepped in in the late
0: eighties. Right. Okay. I um, mean, but it's not nothing. I mean, that's quite.
1: No, but it's. I mean, it's less than a. It's less than. You know, maybe. Seventy-five million today. Which, for an animated feature, is comparatively cheap for us for a studio-funded animated feature.
0: Yeah, but I think that I think nowadays we've got a different distribution model. In the you know. Uh, your Toy Story, or whatever, is going out to all markets uh, with like sort of language localization and things like that built into yeah. the model of like everybody on Earth is going to get to see this, uh, which is not impossible with films in the eighties, of course. But
1: well, this this film would have come out only a couple of years before Toy Story, but with with a with a good release strategy. And, uh, uh, yes, yeah, yeah, and, and support. You, it could have it could have rolled out across the world as or this acclaimed animated feature from the legendary animator Richard Williams, and it would have made its money, I think, with with the right uh, amount of support. Possibly, possibly.
0: But it wasn't intended to come out, just a few years before Toy Story, right?
1: No, but I'm just saying that the the, the state yeah. the market was in yeah. at that point.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's it's not a failure. I guess well I suppose it is in some sense, but Well it's failure
1: that they never got to finish it. Yeah. It 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 failed but not because of him, I don't think. I think the the reasons why it hasn't turned out as well as it could have are because people didn't have the patience or time to indulge him in letting him do it the way he wanted.
0: Yeah, and I think I think also I mean just from a sort of film consumer point of view, uh, you know a lot of the you don't get to see the failures. And I remember somebody actually so they were ta- they they had this was on a podcast or something, and they were recounting that they had talked to Robert Redford about films that he'd made that had never seen the light of day. And you sort of think, oh, oh but surely. Surely somebody would just put that out. Well, no, they weren't in a state to get put out. Sometimes like it just doesn't work. And actually, if you think about all the projects, uh, and I'm sure if listeners are thinking about all the projects they've been involved in and various things at work, where sometimes you just go, well, that doesn't work out. And especially with a film, you've got lots of different people working on it. Um, it, It's definitely conceivable that some of these things just... You can't pull it together into a, a... A ninety-minute or two-hour product that you can then show to somebody. Some of these things just, you know, they can't get over the finish line. Um, And so I think it 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 is an interesting thing to experience some of that. Because because in general you don't you don't see films that didn't get made if that makes sense. Because this is an odd one, you can sort of see the film, even though it didn't fully get created. like nobody would want to show you, like the daily rushes of a live-action film. and go well, you know, we'd add in these things, and, and it would be edited completely different, and we weren't going to use that taken. that would that would be too difficult. That would be a job to sort of look through that. Um, and of course, <laughs> I suppose in terms of animation, you don't want to be just shown a series of pages of <laughs> some. Yeah. I've drawn. I've drawn the thief doing this. And then imagine in ten minutes' time, this you couldn't do that either. So it's 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 at the stage where you can you can get through it and you can experience the film, but not the not the full thing. It's it's just interesting, I think. There are some really interesting
1: examples of sort of unfinished or unreleased films. I mean, from a couple of years ago, we had the Other Side of the Wind, um, Orson Welles' film, which Netflix just finally wrote a blank check so that they could get the damn thing done. Yeah. Which he which he filmed nearly some fifty years ago. Yeah. And and it it turned out it turned out bizarrely that it was actually a masterpiece. Whereas on the other hand, you have a, a film that virtually no one's heard of called Arrive Alive, which I mean it sounds like a terrible idea from the start. It's kind of like a faulty towers style comedy farce in a hotel with the manager trying to con all his guests, but the the hilarious, wacky, central character was played by Willem Dafoe, who you don't think of as being a zany comedy performer. And apparently they f- shot that film for four days until someone said, this doesn't work. Yeah. <laughs> and they shut it down and never finished it.
0: Well, I, th- I think, I mean... I think maybe we've even talked about this before that you know traditionally again not I mean I'm not involved in the film industry in any way but the things you sort of hear when people talk about it are that you know the actual script writers tend to be the last people uh, they're very very low on the, on the pecking order Yeah. Uh, and so all you know once the script is complete in some sense almost nobody they have almost no power to then go we need to do this again or it doesn't work like this. Or can you just do it the way it's written? You can't say that to a director, or so it seems. And so I think sometimes it's probably it's probably a series of miracles why we get the films we do because I, I can imagine they're very very difficult things to.
1: I I think with, with with the with the big blockbuster films, it people aren't going to see a 200 million dollar movie because of the quality of the writing. They're going to see the stars, they're going to see the effects, they're going to see the spectacle. I think there are exceptions to that. The Marvel movies I think do put a lot of effort into polishing scripts to a high standard. And I think the James Bond films generally try to, although it's kind of a bit hit and miss with them recently. But the, and those are the ones that are of a, a a higher quality, I think, but it's but it's the ones that Make the most money. Like, who who writes the
0: Fast and Furious movies? Um, crazy Jeff. Uh, the, he's a car enthusiast, and he, and he's at he's six. And he's six, and they basically just record him uh, sleep it's, talking. I mean, have, <laughs> you, have you, have you, have you, you heard of a comic strip called Axe Cop? Uh, yes, yes, but that was is, that was just. He talked Which to his was, five-year-old brother or something. And, yeah, it was, and,
1: it was a, like a 25-year-old comic book artist drawing it, but it was written by his five-year-old brother. Yeah. So it was this deranged stream-of-consciousness yeah. nonsense.
0: But the thing is... But, even, but surprisingly funny. <laughs> but the thing is, even with... I, I mean, we're sort of dunking on it, but but the Fast and the Furious films, they are, they are uh, like, like these $200 million films. They, they are sort of engineered because they have to make a phenomenal amount of money back to justify the, the the spend so and and Marvel films again and you know people have written articles about this I'm sure there's people writing theses about this about like how yeah it's it's like engineering the way they put it together you know mm. X you know X has to follow Y and there also has to be a bit which introduces um the character we're gonna have in the next film so you, you know it's like well this is, it's gonna have to happen in scene 12. Um, so you know, make sure the rhythms like that, and um, that that's not necessarily criticism. Although sometimes you do feel as if they're maybe a, a, a bit slick and not sort of so surprising to you. But but um, you know, you've you've got to put that through different layers of of people checking it. But I but I think sorry, I'm, I'm waffling a little bit. But I think in the case of the Marvel films, it seems to be that people are really enthusiastic about it, and they, like they love it. And and that's why so much effort goes into it. Because, well, because in in some sense it's not as much effort effort as it could be, because people really w- want to get the best out of it. And I think <laughs> again, you know, talking about superhero films, you know, the 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 DC universe ones that they've sort of tried to put together. So far, I mean, they seem to—they seem to have been sort of learning the lesson slowly, but certainly from the start. It seemed to be that not enough people really loved what they were doing, and sort of brought that um, interest in the product itself to work every day. Hmm. So it seems, as a consumer, I mean, again, I'm not claiming any sort of special insight, but uh, yeah. So, so again, getting, I mean, getting back to the thief and the cobbler. When when it is sort of one man's masterpiece, if you will, I don't know if I was like a, if I was a studio, I'd be, I'd be looking at it carefully. I think.
1: Yeah, you you want to know well, well, what is it? How much is it going to cost? Yeah, and if it's something that sounds like it could be commercially viable, yeah, then it would be worth sort of considering more detail and looking at the director's track record for delivering stuff on budget on time how he works with others because apparently he got through a lot of animators on this not just because of the 30 year production time but also because he kept firing people
0: yeah yeah well the, i mean this is the thing i mean it, i mean people do specialize inevitably um, and uh, skills are not always transferable and being, you know, even a genius in one area doesn't doesn't necessarily mean you're a genius in another. But it also, you bring all your biases with it, so you can be blind to these problems. I mean, I, I mean that works in anyth- anything. Like if you're the best cellist in the world, that doesn't mean, necessarily mean someone should just say, "Well, there's some money, go and put on a, a cello concert." You might think, "Well, actually, actually we should get someone who knows how to run an event, and somebody who knows how to." market it and things like that and i'll play the cello really really well that's what i'll do in this mm. um and and yeah i think that it's but but again it's it's also tricky because i'm sure with a with a with a film um well i'm, I'm not sure you need to but i can understand why a lot of them get made by having a person who come hell or high water is going to get something done the way they want it done and doesn't mind annoying loads of other people to get it done.
1: James Cameron. Well,
0: exactly. Well, exactly. Like, he's, yeah, he's this sort of famous example, right? Of, of, you know, lots of people regret working with him. Lots of people <laughs> are, sort of are glad that they have finished working with him, but they're sort of proud of what got achieved. And, you know, sometimes, uh, and on more than one occasion, he has set out to do something specific, and everyone goes, it's. Is this really the thing we want or need, or is possible? And he's he's got the 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 brainpower and the backbone and the willingness to annoy people and stand up for for what he wants to push something through. Um, but he also he also does get a finished product at the end and puts it out, and it has been yeah. quite successful. Let's say.
1: But um, not not to uh, budget or timescale, though. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, he's, no, he's no Val Guest.
0: <laughs> that reference escapes me, I'm, I'm sorry. He was, he
1: was uh, a British director of many films in the 50s, 60s and 70s. And his films were always on budget, on time. He did an incredibly vast selection of movies never less than totally competent, some pretty good, but always delivered on the day to the penny correct.
0: Yeah, I think um I think Joel Schumacher, I've heard, had the same sort of reputation. Like mm. the sets were fun, you went home on time, you didn't have to crunch or do loads of overtime, you know, whether the film was good or not. Like it got it got done in a sort of professional yeah. and and um not people like
1: working with people like working with him and executives liked him because he he yeah. did his job efficiently.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, you know, if if you if you're a director who likes working that that way and you're not too concerned about the kind of films you're making or maybe you know, you make two for the studio and then they let you yeah. do one of your own for for cheap. Then that's an entirely reasonable way to have a have a decent career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there are some George Schumacher films that are really good.
0: I'm trying to think, I of can one. name three. Did he Tigerland?
1: Is that him? Y- I haven't seen
0: Tigerland. That that's that's a good small film. Mm. Um, I was
1: going to say the Lost Boys, Falling Down, and Phone Booth.
0: Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll agree with that. I think Tigerland is worth watching. Unless yeah, it's, it's done by good. someone
1: else. I think, it, I think it's him. I think it's him. I'm not, no, 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 I'm, it is. Because okay. I remember it was Colin Farrell's first big film lead. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I maintain that Batman and Robin is better than Batman Forever because Batman and Robin actually makes sense and has a story because Batman Forever is a total fucking mess.
0: Again, in my brain they are the same day Batman and Robin nightmare. is the
1: one with Arnold Schwarzenegger as, as Mr. Freeze. And Batman Forever is the one with Jim Carrey as the Riddler.
0: Okay. I mean, ten seconds after this, they will mush together in my Well,
1: the best best one of those four is Batman Returns, because I did an episode on that. Batman Returns is the best Batman film. It's amazing. Okay. There's a scene in that that is the best thing Tim Burton ever shot, and it doesn't even have any dialogue. It's just two people looking at each other, and it's fantastic.
0: Okay. Thief and the Cobbler. We've got to talk yeah.
1: about that. Um The um, thief tries sneaking into the fortress, the uh, the palace, to get to the balls at the top of the minaret. Uh, first, he tries to get in with a dust cart, but it rolls out and falls into the moat. Um, he tries climbing up the drain pipe, um, and gets flushed down again. Um, he winds up sneaking into a. Um, a uh, bathing, a bathing chamber, and he steals two jeweled back scratches.
0: Yeah, which will, um, which will save him.
1: Which yeah, which which become important. Um, meanwhile, uh, Tack is romancing Yum Yum and make is doing a little cat's cradle with thread, and he makes a heart shape with it. Which again, it's it's a nice little bit of visual storytelling there. It's yeah, much, and and again, also, it's
0: a, a great animation. Because all, yes. all, all those all those sort of dangling threads that sort of uh, move very fluidly into different shapes and stuff, that, that that's... Mm. I, can, I just feel for the animator that was like, right, what have I got to do now?
1: Okay. I mean, I th- there from. should have been more of that, of using this this incredibly textured, elaborate animation to push the story and the characters further and not just show off animation for its own sake.
0: Yeah, because things like, uh, you know, when Tack is chasing the thief, um, and there's lots of running across um checkered uh well not cobbles but sort of checkered marble uh, checker, floors checkered
1: checker f- f- paved yeah floors and um, down down twisty things yeah and, and
0: there's it. some bits like that that are almost f- fun because because you view them from one perspective and then you know that spiral is not a spiral on the floor it's actually a staircase so they actually go down it and there, there's a few things like that but you, you know I, um, some of it's quite uncomfortable i think to, to watch i mean physically just the the uh, the strobing effect and things like that that you get um, from watching it um,
1: I would say that there's probably along with zigzag 's appearance there might be a bit
0: of inspiration from yellow submarine uh well yeah that that sort of um i mean that's a, that, that's a whole other thing like that, 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 the sort of um, grotesqueries of the of the different Characters, um, because you know you're you're sort of, you're playing with stereotypes, and I don't think there's malice behind it. But I I think <laughs> I think as is the watchword of uh, many things we talk about, uh, you might look back and go, I think some of this is very problematic. Well, I don't the think th- there's I don't think there's malice, really. No, but I, but I, I think in, also in it- you wouldn't necessarily be. Happy to be represented that way, or the palace guards and things like that. I think so, some of them are out and out grotesque, like like um, zigzags, sort of hangers on. The other sort of court officials, um, you know, because they mm. are sort of monsters. They've got kind of uh, curly noses, and one's green and has gills, think, or seems to have gills. And...
1: Well, yeah, I think by that point, if we're talking about characters with green and blue skin, I yeah. Don't think
0: so, that, so that's I think I think you know you wouldn't. Uh, that that's too fantastical, but I think there's other ones where you think. Again, I I think made without malice, perhaps, but, uh, yeah. Sometimes I just, yeah, it's 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 tricky because it's 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 neither so fantastical that it's just a new world to get lost in, um, but it's not realistic either. Um, it sort of falls between two stools sometimes. Mm. Um, uh, which which is again it's it's that thing about coherence like sometimes you, you're, you're sort of thinking well how did the way these characters move but also the things they do you're not entirely sure because some of it's so sort of beautifully done in paying attention to the sort of the physics of things you don't or I couldn't quite get a sense of how much does this get stretched in a in a in a way that was sort of pleasing to watch you know how um how much do the sort of the characters sort of feel the impact of being hit because it's not it's not that kind of ballistic cartoon thing but it's also not realistic so sometimes when somebody's doing something you think i i don't have a handle on this as to how Mm. fun it is how
1: how cartoonish is this cartoon supposed to be
0: yeah so like like when um uh when the thief is trying to get the golden balls and he's on the uh uh when he's on the sort of tightrope essentially or treating like a tightrope again it's like fantastic in the changing perspective and and it's it really is kind of vertigo inducing because it pays so much te- attention to sort of the way things twist and uh, but again again it's that sense of fun being missing like you know uh you know, if he fell off, would that lead to a sort of wacky sequence where he bounced off things and, you know, um, he, you know he saw little birds flying around his head because he was sort of slightly concussed, but he'd be fine in the very next scene. Or is this going to be horrible because we're sort of realistically showing how kind of vertigo-inducing and weird <laughs> this... You know, it's it's that sort of thing where, I, where, it's, where it's tricky. I was trying to think, oh, is this a product of its time? Like... You know, but I thought no. I I think, I think the pacing in the, those odd aspects would would still have been odd. Mm. Even if he'd completed it, you know, in the, seventies. Mid-
1: yeah, I think I, I like the idea that that he would see the birds going around his head because all the little flies would see little flies going around their own heads, and he would have had all of those animated individually. oh in the Of world. course,
0: yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Or maybe that was in the script and one of the animators just said, I'm not, I'm not doing this. This is too far. Just
1: ran screaming from the building. Yeah. Um, there's, yes, as you say, there's a, there's a chase with Tack after the cobbler. There's, with Tack after the thief after the thief takes Yum Yum's shoe and they wind up colliding with Zigzag who uh, imprisons Tack in the dungeon where he makes a cat's cradle into Yum Yum's face. Mm-hmm. We then jump to a different to the to the to the one other location of the story. The plane outside the city and the army of the one eyes. Yes. Who are the monster villains with no motivation other than being evil.
0: Yes, well Yeah, and again, you know, that's fine for a kid's film, I think. They're they're the baddies. Um they have killed a lot of people and it's not like you dwell on the violence but they're not they're not just sort of you know they haven't just sort of defeated them like there's the field of corpses and the very slow uh sort of getting on the horse of the the severely injured later to die soldier hmm. sort of you know peppered or porcupined with uh, with arrows sort of really painfully in, Diffic- you know, with great difficulty getting on his horse to sort of carry the message. You think, oh, that's not fun. <laughs> you know. Again, I'm not uh, suggesting you have to make it fun necessarily, but you know, I did watch it thinking, oh, this is. You know, it's it, it's odd for the to be sort of. It's a cartoon it's a, violence, it's a, but yet also you sort of think about it, <laughs> yeah, or maybe that was just me.
1: um Zigzag watches the Sleeping City and he has plans to marry Yum Yum and thus inherit the throne from King Nod mm. and also feed the cobbler to Fido. Uh yes. And there's there's a scene, I can't remember if it's in this version or not, but it was it, it was certainly intended, where Fido go gets into the cell and and Tack has to fight him off.
0: Uh I'm trying to think. I no, I think Yum Yum interrupts before that.
1: Well, uh, yeah, it's probably edited edited around it. But um, there are certainly drawings of that done. Um, Oh, it's and uh, Yum Yum's Yum Yum goes to bed, and her bed is made of wolves.
0: Yes, (laughs) quite quite like that.
1: That that's sort of curl up around her. That's sort a, again a nice detail. Nothing that's too over elaborate. I thought just the idea of it and some sort of nicely, nicely designed. Yeah, I don't think it dwells on it too long.
0: And they never come. I mean, they never come back. It's never.
1: No, it's just yeah. like oh, this is how opulent this palace is. That her bed is made of yeah. wolves. Um, King Nod has a vision of the city's destruction and invasion by the One Eyes. Um. As we have the premise restated again, and this is... I, I, the script isn't that good. No, and, and it's I, it's 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 too simplistic, and it repeats too many plot points. I think.
0: I, I agree, and I think I can't remember the wording of it now. But when he, uh, you know, he when he kind of wakes from the vision, or, or and he's and he's calling for zigzag, and he's explaining it. Um, I don't know like his his sort of first exclamation is is something like you know the the city's going to fall into calamity and doom or something like that yeah. not I, I and again I, I'm seeing it through the, the lens of like I, you know you might want to show this to children because it's a an animated you know uh, sort of fable but it's like that's not they're not going to understand that you have to wait to the second and third sort of sentences before you, before you realise, you know, if you were a kid, you'd be thinking, so what? It's going to fall into that. I, I can't remember the exact phrasing, but I just, but at the time when I watched it, I thought, that's, that's an odd way. And then, and then it comes back again. And then it comes back again. So it's got that rule of three, Um, for him thinking, no, 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 it's, it, you know, there's a problem. That's going to, you know, it's going to happen. And he kind of reassures him about the gold of the balls and it happens again and again. So you've got that kind of repeated thing, but it's slow. Mm. And it's drawn out and it's and it's not sort of it's not quippy or witty it's yeah it's um and and as you say it it is repeating the premise um you you could have almost started the film that way of not waking yeah. up and it, it exc- exclaiming something that you could have put that right at the start because that would have explained. What was going on? You'd have to put yeah. all the other things in as well, uh, in terms of Tack getting captured and things. But uh, you know, in terms of a vision or something, or, or, yeah. or, or or I don't know, have zigzag do some magic and he's looking through a crystal ball and and, and sees it. That would explain it without an narrator telling you then sort of stuff happening. Well. Then the story sort of kicking into action. In terms of the threat, I suppose
1: well the thief makes another attempt at stealing the balls and does the whole tightrope walking and manages at this time as Tack also is um, escaping through his cell by picking the lock with one of the tacks in his mouth and he's he's helped by the little mouse in there
0: yeah but Which also is, it, I, even that is an odd sort of um, a kind of character point although I suppose I su- I'm saying that but but I suppose he has been imprisoned by Zigzag for no real reason but it's not like um, you know he doesn't sort of suffer the trial you you know and and by being kind of graceful or good of heart uh, you know manages to escape through some lucky coincidence or or something like that like he's in he's in jail so he decides to get out and he uses a skill and gets out like it's not like a I, I, it, it's not a sort of uh, kind of like a moral reward for being well behaved.
1: No, but he's been imprisoned unfairly, though.
0: Yes, I, that that is the the mitigating factor, I suppose. But it, in a, I think in a different slash better film, you know, like yeah. the mouse would be like somebody that helps him, and the or presi- or like an opportunity arises, like the golden balls smash through something, mm-hmm. you know, you know, you know, break the, the 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 jail cell or something. So he takes the opportunity to. To run away because it's presented to him, not just well, "I'm in jail," but I have my tools and i have got to get out. And I'm I'm
1: really surprised that at no point is there a substitution of the ball he's chained to for one of the golden balls. Yeah, you or think that, you think that's like that's kind of a given that that's going to happen at some point.
0: Yeah, or or the or the fact that there's three of them will come into play in some sense. Not just, oh, the, there's not just the but, golden ball. It's like the three several. should be. Yeah, there's several. They, they, yeah, so they should be used for sort of swapping around or, or, or you know, or they find two of them, but they've got to find the third one or something like that. It's, but, yeah. and also the fact that they bounce around the courtyard and you're like, okay, so again, sort of slapsticky because they're just bouncing all the time. And, you're like, but it's not, so it's not realistic because they just keep bouncing, but it's not fun because it's not like they careen into other things. It's just a bit where they're bouncing in the courtyard, and everybody's fleeing in terror because these presumably metal or metallic uh, uh, balls are sort of creeping around in a way that would kill you. <laughs> it's it's <laughs> sort of yeah, it's quite disturbing in a lot of ways.
1: Um, well, the uh, the herald arrives with the news that the um, the one eyes are on their way, so they start to prepare for invasion, um, and I think it's at this point where. The thief actually loses the balls to zigzags, hench people.
0: Yes, they. Yes, yeah. yeah. he instructs them to go grab them.
1: And um, the uh, tack is going to be taken. Oh no, the thief's going to be taken to the stocks, to have his hands cut off for thievery.
0: Yeah. Good, good children's film. Yeah.
1: Well, which is where the jeweled back scratcher's come in because he holds. He's. Pulled his hands in, and so he has these two little tiny hands.
0: Yeah, but but, out of his robe. But again, and and I, you know, I, I'm sort of warming to my theme of constantly criticising this now. But it's like, you're not what the thief is a baddie. You're not looking for him to, uh, you know, like, oh, I'm glad he like finds his way cleverly out of this. It's like, no, no, he's a wee sneak, and he gets away. He's, but he's a, he's only a thief.
1: He's not. He's not malicious, he's not villainous, he just he just loves stealing stuff. I know and cutting yeah. off his hands. Yeah, the that, treadmill to be this is really
0: terrible and over the top. But but I think in that sense then the character design fails. Because he's sort of he's he's presented in a and again a sort of grotesque uh <laughs> quite anti Semitic, I think, uh a way. But but you know, so so you're not it's it's not like, um, it's not like you're you're sort of there with them, going, "Whoa, oh, what's he up to next?" You're like, "It's it's more a reaction of, oh god, like what's he what's he doing now? Like how's he how's he doing a bad thing to other people uh, again? <laughs> you know, it's it's yeah, it's a tricky one. I, I mean, but it also makes you appreciate when some like when you have something like that, or when you've got like a silent character, when it works really well, like how impressive it is that you can. Uh, you can construct something like that so people are sort of invested in it.
1: Zigzag says that the balls have been stolen by magic and that um, if he marries um, Princess Yum Yum he'll be able to get them back but the king won't fall for that kind of blackmail he dispatches uh, Zigzag away and (laughs) he says, doesn't he say I'm taking my balls and leaving?
0: I must. Again, I must have again, been, I must children's have been.
1: film. Yeah, I must have been, I um, missed that. So he defects to the one eyes. Um, but I,
0: I quite like that when it was like, oh, here's the plan, and rather than it, and rather than it, well, I mean, so if you were sort of rewriting it, you might go, okay, well, the the, the path I would take would be the king doesn't want it, but in order to save the city, he agrees to it. So you've got this deadline of Well this wedding is about to this is the wedding is going to happen unless Tak can save the city in a different way or expose mm-hmm. the, the vizier. Whereas <laughs> Whereas in this Nod just goes, No, you never marry my daughter. Get out you Think, all right. So okay, that's that's the solution. You go, you know, he doesn't give in to blackmail, that's good. But no. at the same time you think, well, okay. That's, that's just the end of that bit I guess. Now but something now else ends. has to happen. Yeah, which is
1: why Zig, uh, Zigzag then defects to join forces with the One-Eyes
0: Yeah Oh yeah, yeah, I mean it, it all sort of works out narratively but it just seemed a bit weird
1: um. I liked it, I thought it was a nice change of pace that, you know, King Nod is he's not a strong character, he's, I mean his name comes from the fact that he's always asleep um, and he's kind of a bit uh, um, ineffectual. So for him to, to for him to draw a line in the sand, there says, "No, I'm never never letting my daughter marry you." Yeah. It, sort of, it's... it shows that he's he's got he's got a little core of toughness that he can call on when he has to. Yeah. So There's a little bit a little bit of characterization there. And it just little, seems like he could have gone narrative.
0: God! Capture this guy. <laughs> put put him in a jail cell till he tells me where the balls are. It's probably Mm. with those guys that he's been hanging around with all this time. Yeah. The the weird ones
1: with gills. Yeah, all those green and blue and purple people. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, and and find out where they put Ringo. (laughs) So the... um, uh, the, uh, The princess and Tack and the princess's nurse have to go and see a witch out in the desert... Uh, to get help from her, um, but they're followed by the thief, who thinks that there's treasure on the way. Mm. Um, and while they're out in the desert, they find another another group of characters, the brigands, who are just sleeping in a big pile.
0: I quite like them, though. I thought I thought they were they were good because they are they are they are more like out of a children's film because they are uh, they're sort of they're bad in one sense in that they like to fight and they like to uh, grumble and they uh, you know they're they're sort of beastly um, and they have their book which tells them to do things which is basically like charge or fight or you know and I thought oh that's that's all good stuff and then you know it kind of comes to the good because it turns out that uh, you know um, Yum Yum commands them to be her royal guard and that that's kind of nice and that's the kind of um, that's kind of satisfying uh, I, I think in, in a sort of children's film sort of way of like well look, look at these kind of scary looking things but they're you know they're they're like wee boys really they're sort of they're kind of beastly and they like to sort of scrap and get up to things but you know at, at their heart they're sort of good I mean even though they're sort of bad but like they're good in the sense that like well we can all go off on an adventure together yeah. whereas, whereas the one eyes are just Sort of they're like an evil. oppressive. They're just sort of the horrors of war type of thing on the hmm. on the horizon. Um, so I like the brigands, the witch, no, like that's that that's where, like it fails because because, y- you know, you would think okay, we what we need is uh, an old sort of uh, so she's a witch, right? So she's going to be old, and uh, you know, but in the little twist, like she's going to be funny. Right? She's gonna be kind of wacky. She's gonna do things like that. Your grandmother doesn't do like she, you know who. Again, I'm thinking you know if you think about it like a, like a, from a ch- child's eye point of view, it's yeah. like well, wh- who's an old lady that you know? Well, it's probably your grandmother or you know an aunt or something like that. And this this witch is she's like she's an old lady, but she flies around and she whoops and she um you, you know you know doesn't act sensibly. Like uh, or you know, move slowly like a, like an old person does. She's, she's, a fun, cartoony old person, but it's a swing and a miss completely, because <laughs> she's, the witch is so sort of, offputting and sort of scary, and the noise is weird, and um, and then she goes around sort of sniffing drugs and then also setting fire to things, but, like, that I remember watching, going, no, no, this is this is where you look at the footage, you go. Ah, we're almost there, but it like it, it's it's failed because it's creepy, not funny, you know. So brigands, yes, that's good. Which no.
1: Well, as zigzag arrives at the brigands, um, the the one eye's encampment, and um, something that I think was removed from other versions is the um, the uh, concubines that uh, the chief one eye has.
0: Yes, yes, I'd I'd read that they that they cut out as much as they could without, because they're important for a couple of scenes. But yeah,
1: because there's a couple of scenes where you, you can't cut around them. Yeah,
0: yeah, um, yeah. That again, what some what's somebody going to think of that when they watch? But I liked
1: Zigzag like doing his act and and. Flourishing these cards all over the screen, and yeah, again, that again, brilliant, animation. absolutely amazing.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, and and is it's very Aladdin, I think, that bit, particularly, yeah.
0: But then again, it's it's sort of uh, there's an odd rhythm to it because <laughs> he gets uh, because uh, you know, the chief of the one eyes goes, No, to jail with you or to the crocodiles to be fed to the crocodiles. And then he has to come back and go. No, I told you, I was quite powerful. He's like, hold on, is, is this like a comic, sort of foil, or is he actually bad, or is he like, what's, what's the hierarchy of sort of, characters here? It's it's, yeah, it's hard to mm. grasp. I think, I like I liked when he was, uh, mushing along the crocodiles, like they were. Oh of, yeah, where well, he has
1: he's a sled pulled by crocodiles. Yeah. I guess probably that's to be fast that's 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 a very villainy image, I think
0: oh absolutely so you, I mean you can see lots of things where where I guess maybe people watched and thought, okay this is what you can pull out of it that works, that works, and that works that doesn't work, that doesn't work you know as I say it's it, like it's it's an interesting film it's just or it's an interesting thing to see. Or mm. to look at, maybe it's better. But it's um, as a complete film. Don't know.
1: Well, the witch says that uh, the tack is the one who has to save the city, and um, while the thief is attempting to steal things, he's, he's made some wings, so he's yeah. flying around, and it says, attack! A tack! You have to. You ha- what's? But it's what you do with it that matters." Um, and then the mountain therein explodes.
0: Uh, yes, because she said, "Is that a result of her set igniting the, the the flames, the, the fire, or oh, yeah, the, the, oh, the gases?" The, the gases, gases. coming out of the earth. What what it reminded me of a, a lot of the time? You know the the um, uh, the bit in Dumbo, the the oh, the, pink the Elephants. the pink Elephants sequence, for the, the things kind of. Fluidly sort of morph and move mm. around lots of it reminded me of that but so sustained that it became uncomfortable the 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 pink elephant sequence in Dumbo is great because it's a change and it is uncomfortable and then and it comes to, a, to an end basically because it because it's a hallucinatory experience
1: yeah, it's, a dream, it's a dream sequence within a, a generally it, realistic setting yeah
0: Whereas with the Thief and the Cobbler, it's just it just goes on and you're like, I'm watching ninety minutes of this again, the, the kind of the the lack of coherence of the characters, I suppose. Mm. The way they're kind of rubber skeletoned, but but only sometimes, but you know and and not all of them.
1: It it seems like the the problem is there was there wasn't enough discipline at the start if if Williams had locked down the script that he wanted to make early on so he knew what what characters were going to be doing from one scene to the next, even if he hadn't sketched out any ideas of what was what anything was going to look like, there would be that structure in place that would underpin everything else. But he's allowed the animation to come first and then just to rewrite around what mm-hmm. ideas he's had for animation and to let everything go on a little bit longer than it needs to, because he wants to show off this other thing that he can do.
0: Yeah. And but and also things like, you know, um if if you had a situation where it was like, well the golden city looks like this, and the camp of the one eyes looks like this, and that's your that's your two sort of styles. So you see so there's a contrast, but quite a lot of it's it's like, well, the courtyard looks like this, the interior of the palace looks like this, a background shot looks like this, uh uh you know, and then the one eye camp looks like this, and then the desert looks a bit like this, and then the witch's mountain looks, you know, and it's all different, and so it's quite sort of stressful to look at, because you're always having to sort of pay attention, there's no, um, uh, it's not easy to just say, or to sort of let your eyes sort of soak it in, because actually they have to sort of go and hunt out things, I mean, uh, you you know there were bits certainly this sort of the, the witch's mountain where the sort of shading and things I thought looked a little bit like uh, the Monty Python animations. Not as not as dark, not as sort of cross hatched or anything like that. But uh, or, or maybe it's not even cross hatching. But but uh, uh, just just echoes of that. And again, I, I sort of thought it's a, it's another style for my brain to sort of fit into the to the world. And also. The, the Monty Python things are absurd and quite repellent in so, some of them and sort of off-putting and last for about ten seconds as a way to sort of break between different things. Where's this? <laughs> like, you're, you're stuck with it, you're sort of living with it for quite a while.
1: Hmm. Well, the the Tack and everyone else return to the city just as the One-Eyes War Machine is approaching. And it's it's full of things. Mm-hmm. It's ent- it's entirely made of things, and it's again it's a, it's an animator's dream slash nightmare because all the bits of it are all moving at the same time yeah. and all in different directions.
0: Yeah, it's um, yeah again incredibly impressive, quite stressful to look at,
1: very difficult <laughs> well, to work at, on. <laughs> at at least this it's it's supposed to be stressful to look at. It's supposed to be yes. hideous and monstrous yeah. and imposing. Yeah. Because it's it's got spikes and platforms and pulleys and gears and it it walks on spider legs and it it should be everything that's horrible. Yeah, it's
0: it's like somebody's taking a mechanoset and strapped knives to everything and then motors to the other bits and it's all whirling around and it's dark. Or red. <laughs> and it, yeah, and it's painted dark, and it's painted dark red, the
1: color of blood, just to yeah, make it even yeah. more appealing.
0: Yeah, and then you have to somehow move through it, <laughs> without yeah. being sliced a bit. Um, so again, again, you, you know, there's a bit the bit where the thief is. Kareem- oh we'll get to that. We'll get to okay, that. Okay,
1: sorry, um, but um, the cobbler and zigzag come out, come face to face again, and um, the cobbler manages to evade the horse, but he comes up with the idea of. Firing a single tack um, towards the enemy, which um, ricochets from armor into a horse's bottom, which rears up, and the man who's on it falls off and his pike falls from his grasp, and it cuts a rope that's um, restraining a catapult, and the catapult fires into the machine and then it sets off this gigantic chain reaction mm. that lasts the next 20
0: minutes. Yeah, it's too much. It's like, and I, I, is it, what am I trying to think of? Is it Rube Goldberg? Rube Goldberg, well, yeah, or yeah. Heath Robinson is the British yeah. one. Um, but you haven't seen the setup. So you don't get the joy of, oh, so that egg's going to roll onto that thing, which is going to activate a fan that, you know, so that, that kind of thing is happening when everything's falling apart. But it's not joyful. So there's loads of like people dying or being crushed or being thrown into something or you know sort of dropping and vanishing from sight or, or, or you know potentially horrendous things happening to them. But he again, there's no joy. You're not like, oh well, I saw that happening. Like I saw the setup. Mm. So now I'm getting to see them all get their comeuppance. You're like, well, there's a hundred soldiers that were sort of standing beside some a giant fly swatter. Yeah, well, that that <laughs> at least is sort of daft. But that's the daftest bit by far. There's all sorts of other bits which are more like, well, those those hundred soldiers were standing on a platform beside a bunch of whirring blades, and then something pushed them off into a vat or, or you know something or off site or uh, you know presumably falling into the blades or something like that. There's loads of that where you, where you sort of think. It's all it's all sort of fiendishly complicated and horrible if you dwell on any of it, but also. Yeah even if you just let it sort of pass over your mind and you don't dwell on it, it's not... For all the fact that there's something happening every single frame of the film, in another sense, it's really slow.
1: Because the things that are happening are happening for the sake of looking at the beauty of the design and the animation. They're not pushing forward the story. They're not illustrating... Uh, character or giving them depth. They're not uh, showing off any sort of themes that the film is aiming at because it doesn't really have this fil- the film's story doesn't have any depth at all. It's just a fairy tale, yeah, yeah. which is fine. Yeah. But it, you know, if if the animation's going to be this detailed, I feel it ought to be matched by a so- a solid story.
0: And no, or, or just a sort this, of this lightness this is, this is of touch d- to to make it kind of okay that you're spending twenty minutes on. As I say this sort of mechano what what
1: what's watching no. the evil army being absolutely slaughtered by their own machinery yeah well I like that kind of thing
0: I, I, but again done done well it, it like it, it really works and and uh, uh, and I, I, as you say like the animation again remains fantastic it's just a different type of now again fantastically complicated uh, thing yeah. I don't know it just doesn't land with that sort of satisfaction of like a really kind of fun, wacky machine falling apart,
1: well, through all of this, the thief is gone back into the machine to recover the golden balls, and he manages to go through this whole chaos and disaster, totally focused on the task in hand and evades horrible death at every turn, you know almost being crushed by gears or speared by knives or a hundred other things completely obliviously walking through the whole thing
0: but again it's it's not like that uh uh, like mr magoo you know being blind and Hmm. sort of not understanding the danger he's in or the situations he's causing it's not like that he's just sort of going through it and he manages not to be killed because just that's how it works out he's you know he he yeah things miss him or he's you know, just ahead of time, or just behind time, or, or whatever. Uh, but it's not—it's um, not fun because. It's,
1: well, it's—I mean—in a way, it is a little bit like Mister Magoo because he's blind to everything but his goal. So yeah, the, the rest—the rest of the world has fallen away. He's just focused on recovering this treasure.
0: Uh, yeah, but I think there's there's not so much opportunity for the audience to go oh that's about to oh no that's how he got out of it it's it's Um, more just and what's happening oh there's loads of blades coming to right okay so and now he's on a thing and okay okay they missed him and now we're going to do a perspective shift again as he kind of twists and slides down something with you know people dying all around him it's 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 nightmarish which is good in its own sense i suppose but um yeah
1: oh, meanwhile the chief of the one eyes is kicked to death by his concubines uh yeah it's um <laughs> i mean it's it's sort of weirdly thrown away or they, they it's like that is that a kick to death or they sit on him
0: i think they just they, they surround him don't they and they just sort of close in on him i think that's it you, you know he's lost his sight and you i mean that's the end of them but yeah um but yeah again it because you've sort of, because they've sort of because they literally are are used as furniture, the women, (laughs) earlier on. It's not like you... I mean, obviously he is being cruel, but but it's sort of cruel in such an abstract way, because all all the character uh, design is the same. So they literally form up into a throne form at one point and are used as tables and stuff. So there's no bit where uh, you foresee that this is what's going to happen. Like, there's no bit where he's sort of mistreating them, in a way that they actually react to, and you think mm. well, they're plotting, and when they get their opportunity, they're going to possibly kick him to death, but, you know it's just they're, they're they're literal objects, and then at the end uh that's that's how he dies mm. you
1: the um the thief escapes from the machine in a little cart which hits some planks of wood and gains wings and also, some rope catches on his face, so he winds up with those little rope goggles. Yes. And I, again, that's that's a fun little gag, and it ties in with his attempts to fly earlier. And um, zigzag has been has had his clothes sewn together, I think, by the cobbler. Uh, Something like that.
0: Yes, I think he does. Yeah. And
1: he's and he's trying to hop away. He and he his foot lands on attack again. And he falls into a hole full of the crocodiles, which then eat him. And uh, Fido eats his face.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah. Grim.
1: Yeah. I uh, mean, it's all. I mean, done much more tastefully than I suggest. It's all done like a done in darkness.
0: Yes, and he's got another little sort of rhyming couplet to explain that you know this is the end, and it and it, um, it sort of fades out, fades out. Mm. Uh, but still, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's as you explained he falls down into a place that is full of crocodiles and and the, dies. and the pet that he has sort of abused and I mean he sort of accepts his fate because he did promise the crocodiles he would get them someone sort of fat and juicy if they sort of mm. um, obeyed him and you know he accepts that oh well yeah, he didn't live up to his side of the bargain so this is the end, there we go okay
1: uh, where well, the um, the thief neatly walks out of the Machine's back door as it finally disintegrates. Um, Tack grabs the balls and the thief goes after him again, corners him at the edge of a cliff, and then decides, oh, it's not worth the effort and leaves.
0: Yeah, see, he just just finally decides, I can't be bothered with this anymore. I mean, but that's quite good. Like, he has a, you know, um, it's sort of a moral lesson. He kind of gets rewarded. Uh, sort of basically directly after deciding not to keep thieving, even if it's just this one particular thing, mm. you know, th- there is a there is a sort of children's show element to it. <laughs> after all that's happened,
1: but um, Tack is praised and carry, uh He and the thief are carried high through the city, and the prophecy is fulfilled. And. Tack and Yum Yum get married and Yum Yum says oh I love you and Tack finally speaks in the richest thickest James Earl Jones voice <laughs> he says that he loves her too and we pull back to see a vision of the beautiful golden city and suddenly the, the film starts running out of the side of the camera because the thief has grabbed it
0: But that, and, I, I like that I, and he grabs
1: the film off the screen and runs off into the distance
0: yes I thought that was good
1: like that. Um, so that was the version of the film that well roughly speaking that Williams was close to finishing um, unfortunately the deal he'd signed with Warner Brothers meant that it had to be done by a certain date and because of his inability to stick to deadlines he breezed past that deadline and the whole thing was handed over to the Bond Completion Company who in turn enlisted a um, television animation producer, Fred Calvert, to complete the film. Um, this involved turning it into a musical. So we had um, four musical numbers added to the film, as well as a completely new score. Various scenes cut uh, and others resequenced. sequenced um, and most notably a lot of voice changes so um we had for example uh, Clive Revel the original emperor in the empire strikes back instead of Anthony Quaela's king nod uh Sims' character was uh completely revoiced um as were almost everybody else apart from Vincent Price and Windsor Davies even Chris Greener for Britain's tallest man um uh, had his voice replaced. Um, this version of the film was released as the Princess and the Cobbler in Australia and South Africa. And then Miramax got hold of it. And with his uh, traditional flair, the owner of Miramax uh, completely recut the film even further, um, re-editing it and redubbing a lot of the dialogue. Now titled Arabian Night with a K, uh Tack now speaks and narrates all the way through uh with the voice of Matthew Broderick.
0: <laughs> it, sounds, I mean, it sounds like the setup for a terrible sort of sitcom. Yeah. Thing.
1: Princess Yum mm-hmm. Yum is now played by Jennifer Beals. Um the thief also speaks and narrates his own scenes all the way through with lots of pop culture references and is played by Jonathan Winters. Oh
0: god. I mean,
1: yeah. Um, even uh, The Nurse and the Witch, formerly Joan Sims, are now played by Tony Collette. Wow. Well, I mean, I mean, this was sort of the mid nineties before she became you know, Australia's second greatest female actor. Uh, behind Kate Blanchett.
0: Right, okay. Not kind of Okay. Uh well, um Kylie Minogue's a, not a bad actor, you know. Um well, I mean, I mean the thing with with, with voice. I <laughs> uh, no, I'm not I'm not I'm not <laughs> I was just skipping past that, but um I mean, they e-
1: they even redubbed Donald Pleasance and they got Eric Bogosian to do the voice of Fido. Who's again, he's a fine actor. But it, but, but in the, the recap, one
0: Pleas- does Fido speak or have anything? I believe so, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I, it's more of a mystery about what Donald Pleasance was doing in the first place. <laughs> in the Oh, know. I bet, I mean, all these
1: you know, gentlemen of horror, you know, Donald Pleasance and Vincent Price, they were all mates. So it was, oh, I'm doing this really great um, fantasy film where I play a, you know an evil vizier with a, with a pet vulture. Yeah. And I bet Donald Pleasance said, oh, can I do the voice of the vulture?
0: <laughs> well, that's the thing. I mean, I, I was, thought it would be a I mean, laugh. That's quite a good attitude you know, to say, well, here's a piece of work it's not it's not beneath you to do it it's you know it's 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 um you know it's a piece of voice oh, acting nip down to Donald the studio, Pleasance we'll be... has,
1: Donald Pleasance has done some really crappy films. No, of course but he was but, he would never say no no but
0: that but but that in itself is a is a you know um uh again i'm not an actor uh, uh, uh and, and don't know what that life is like but i can imagine that that's a good attitude to um uh to develop because uh, as a film like this shows you have no idea what 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 things will work out
1: mm. in the
0: end. You might have a good feeling about something, or you might think all oh, the ingredients are there, and and you know you might have quite good instincts. But you know, some things are really popular, sort of inexplicably mm. so, and some things you know you really. And I and I think I've, I've sort of said this, uh, you know, on the podcast before. You know, uh, two hundred million dollar Marvel films. I'm sure in some ways are not, just on a purely acting level, as much fun as, say, uh, you know, perhaps a voiceover piece or or a play or, uh, you know, a little movie that you want to do for a specific purpose. Not, not, I don't don't even mean because, you know, you deeply care about the material, but just the experience of being on a different kind of movie set or a different kind of studio set or Mm. whatever. Maybe that explains Donald Place, but maybe not.
1: Well, it was the Arabian Night version that was finally released in the United States. Um, with a final budget of $24 million, it made 319000 when it was released in August of 1995. Um, it was released in various countries around the world, but did not see release in the United Kingdom until 2012.
0: Yeah, at which point it must have looked...
1: Very out of time. Yeah, it, it was a catalog release by then. Yeah. But already by that time, Garrett Gilchrist, uh, an animation archivist, had been working on the recobbled cut, trying to reassemble the um, closest version to uh, William's d- finished version. There was a yeah. there was a work print he was basing it on, and then bits of finished animation from elsewhere, and various drafts. Uh, most recently, the twenty fourteen version, which is I think the version that we watched,
0: right?
1: Which is, I see you. Know, you can watch it, and it's entirely comprehensible as a film.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bit, you know, really the bits of it that, where so it
1: does resort, there are bits of it where it does resort to you know pencil sketches and things like that to to fill in bits that that weren't finished. But it's you can watch long, it and you know,
0: sorry, they're never very long those sequences.
1: No, like most of the animation was was done.
0: Yeah, in fact, actually, it was quite weird because some of the bits where the sort of the animatic or whatever cut in. You sort of, I, there were times where I thought, "Well, that's odd," because it's ju- it's just the start of that bit. W- wouldn't you start the animation from the start of the scene? Apparently uh, not. No, or, or or there's just a tiny little bridging pit and you thought. Surely that was the easy thing to get done, not the <laughs> fantastically complicated perspective shift you've just done in sort of full animation. Maybe they did the difficult stuff first, and that's why all the animators thought, I can't do this for 30 years. No, 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 it's all right. We saved all the easy stuff for the back six months. Nope, I'm off.
1: So would you I mean, I think we both agree that this isn't a particularly commercial film. Had it been, Had it been completed the way Williams wanted it, it would not have been a particularly commercial, but do you think it would have still been a worthwhile venture, based on his original thesis of it being his masterpiece?
0: I th- I, that's a tricky one. I think it's it's the kind of thing that people who were interested in the subject of animation would be it would be interested in and would like to talk to other people about it. You know, you, you know so. And you know everybody that was going through film school would kind of watch it. Sort of, you know, it's like here's an interesting, uh, an interesting thing. Uh, you know, to sort of study rather than sit back and enjoy. Um, it, it, it's very difficult to, to sort of second guess that. But 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 I I, th- I think if it was a more sort of complete polished product, then yeah, it'd be kind of interest. It'd be interesting. And possibly even just because you know once uh, sort three of D animation came along and allowed people to do realistic shadowing and things like that, that you know there'd be a, an interesting kind of comparison there, I suppose. Um, various things done by hand versus you know computer working out things. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, it, w- it would have had a, a kind of a life of some sort. And uh, continue to do so, but I'm not sure it would. It was never going to be a blockbuster. I can't no, I say no. Um
1: But um, I think, in retrospect, it it is. the The animation, I think, it deserves to be seen. Just the, I mean, you could just put together a show reel of clips from the film and some of the amazing animation, and I think that deserves to be seen.
0: I'll tell you what. The, see, the only time that it tickled my brain in any kind of recognition was the bit with the, uh, the, the one-eyes and in their camp. And there's a little bit of my brain that went, I feel like I've seen this bit before. And I was trying to think where. And I remember <laughs> being on a stag do in a club in Glasgow uh, <laughs> where in the basement they were playing silent films and they were definitely playing Metropolis when we arrived. But they were playing just like weird things, kind of weird visuals projecting them onto the walls, and I just, I, I just had a, and this was years and years and years ago, so I can't remember, and I was very much the worst for wear by the time we even arrived at the club. But I just, I just when I saw all the, the sort of the black and the red and and, th- you know, that the, them kind of all kind of marching and what step and things, there was just a bit of my brain that thought, I wonder if they. Just sort of played that, like just projected that onto the walls. Um, possibly not, but that's the. There the was definitely a feeling when I was watching those sequences where I thought, I think I might have seen this before. So, if nothing else, it may have been used as a strange sort of audiovisual thing for um, drunken Glaswegian uh, clubbers. Well,
1: I think it, it's interesting that even though, <laughs> even though that's. Absolutely not what Williams would have thought of. It's achieved a strange kind of afterlife and immortality in your reprobate antics.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, but I think that I mean, and there are uh, you know things like or, or uses that you can put things like that to where it's like, well, this is not worth watching ninety minutes and paying attention to it as a story, but have a, have a look at these visuals even if there's just a 30-second clip here or there. Um, because, yeah, in the, in the real sense, it is worth seeing. It's worth experiencing. Yeah, yeah. It's,
1: it's a film to show, you know, in art galleries, maybe, where you can walk in and out.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: But uh, I think it's something that really should have been shown, and um, maybe it still can. Uh, I'll try and include a link with the video. Yeah. Thanks to Ed for making time for this recording. His podcast series, And What Do You Do?, talks to people in diverse lines of work and is available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Cinema Limbo is now on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Acast with almost 100 episodes available, so please download, review and subscribe. We're also on YouTube, on Twitter at cinemal underscore limbo, and Podnos is also on Patreon, so please pop a penny in the box to help us with our running costs. However, until next time once you have been listening to Cinema Limbo. Hosted and produced by Jeremy Phillips, with editing and music by Philip Alderman. Cinema Limbo is part of the Podnose Podcasting Network, so please visit us at www.podnose.com.